Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. Good morning, Gateway Church. We're so glad uh, to be gathering together this morning. So great that you're here. A huge welcome to you if you're new to the church. Um, if I could invite you, uh, make yourself at home. Put your feet up. Enjoy your time here. You can uh, fill in our connection card that's at the top of your screen. There's a chat uh, that is open to you. There's prayer that's available to you. Just make yourself at home. And uh, we hope that we have a really uh, blessed and encouraging time. Church, do encourage one another. Um, share your thoughts as we go along and praise God together. It's so great to be able to do this. We're going to be updating you uh, very soon in our plans as we move through the year. Of course, the situation um, around and about us is always evolving, so make sure you're uh, keeping an eye on our messaging um, so that you can uh, keep up to date with what is happening in the church. A few of you uh, m uh, made use of the church messaging yesterday to notify me about a very important happening in the football world. Um, I assume that you were talking about Nottingham Forest winning 1-0. Uh, there were no other significant footballing events that I'm aware of. Anyone else? Anyone else? No, Favour doesn't, no, favor doesn't know about anything else. Anyhow, um, just make sure you're, you're keeping in connection with what's going on in the church life. Um, we have finally received another dispatch of these well-being books. So if you haven't yet got one, we'd love to get one to you. So uh, if, even if you've asked before, would you mind reminding us? That would be so, so helpful. Right, in a minute, we're going to dive into worshiping God together. I'm going to invite you to get off the couch and, and enjoy praising God. Today, we're talking about vocational well-being um, in our well-being journey. And vocation, it's all about calling. Our primary, our first calling is that we're called to worship God, just to enjoy God, to glorify Him. That's what we're going to be diving into. But maybe it's just as some encouragement uh, to you, uh, some cause for thanksgiving. I wanted to update you on a few things that we as a church have been doing. And uh, of course, just over February half term, um, we were blessing uh, families all around us through our Winston's Place Nursery and further afield with food hampers and activity packs. I think there's probably some pictures of that coming up on your screen right now. And uh, so a huge thank you to everybody who took part. 200 hampers and activity packs uh, went out to, to families to bless them, encourage them. I had the privilege of dropping some off at people's doors and seeing them 
desperately tried to heft them off their front step. Um, they were so encouraged, so blessed. We're going to be doing it again in the future. We want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, we do have actually some hampers and some materials still available, um, some food to bless people. So if you know of anybody who needs just a bit of encouragement, a bit of help, it doesn't matter where they are or what their background is, we'd love to bless them. And the other thing, from Christmas, we uh, chose to, to bless Orton House, our residential care home, uh, with a new in-house cinema. And uh, again, I think you've got some pictures coming up. It looks really nice. It looks really nice. Um, so as soon as this pandemic is over, uh, movie nights over at the care home. Anybody up for that? Um, it looks absolutely stellar. So again, a huge thank you to everybody who contributed to that. We really want to bless them and let them know that they're loved, just as we want to know that we're loved. And can I tell you, you're loved. God loves you. And he loves us with this everlasting, wonderful, mountain-moving, life-changing love. And that's what we're going to worship God all about right now. So come on, let's get to our feet. And we pray, Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for moving us from, from darkness to light, from death to life. Thank you for moving us into all of the possibility and promise for our lives in you. God, we thank you for what you have been doing through us, through our church, in this area. God, we're looking forward to what's next. And God, we want to now center ourselves upon you. You are the source of everything. You're the hope of everything. You're the hope of our lives. And we worship you. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, church. So great to be back for another week together, isn't it? Now then, I am going rogue from the well-being journey today. And since it's the first week of Lent, since we started Lent, I'm going to be talking about that. And do let me know how your Lent resources are working for you, the ones that we sent out for you and your family to explore together. Let me know how they're going. Are they being a blessing for you? Are your family enjoying them? And do let me know as well. If you, if you think you haven't received one or you haven't been able to access, let me know and we'll, we'll get you sorted for that. We will. Okay then. So we've started Lent, haven't we? It's a... Uh, preparationary period for Easter. We're coming up to Easter far too quickly this year is escaping us already. Now then, we know, don't we, that in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days, for 40 nights, and he was fasting. And that's what we do over the period of Lent. We're fasting, aren't we? Maybe from food, Maybe from something else. Some people fast from social media. Fast, we fast from all sorts. Are you fasting from anything at all? Put it in the chat. Tell me what you're fasting from. Please don't try and fast for 40 days from food. Um, but maybe, maybe a day. We, you could join with us, our, our monthly fasting. That would be brilliant if you could join in with that. But yes, the Lent period is because in the wilderness, Jesus fasted, didn't he, for 40 days. And during that time, he was being tested and tempted by the devil, wasn't he? So this morning, I'm going to talk about temptation. Because temptation is all around us. And I bet some, whatever you've chosen to fast from, if you've chosen to fast for this Lent period, I bet you've chosen to fast from something that is quite a temptation for you. Maybe if it is something like social media, then it's quite a temptation for you to just be scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So maybe 
that's a big temptation for you. And we always get tempted. I think sometimes we think that temptation is a sin and it's wrong to be tempted, but it's not. Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. What It becomes a sin if you give in to that temptation. And we know that Jesus never did. And that's what was so important there, that, that Jesus never gave in to that temptation. But it's really, really difficult for us. Now then, I'm going to show you. A little bit of an experiment here. Now, the balloons may have forgiven me this week. I don't know. They may not have done, but we'll find out very soon. Now then, I'm going to have to pop you in here. I've got some paper. Now, this paper is going to be whatever you're feeling tempted by. Lots of things can tempt us. They can seem like really big things or they can seem like really, really small things that aren't that big of a deal. And, and it's always something that we think is going to be quite an enjoyable thing or that looks really good, that sounds really good, that tastes really good, that feels really good. Something that makes us feel good. Generally, those are the things that tempt us, but they're not always actually very good at all. Now, I'm going to set this piece of paper on fire. Don't copy me at home. I feel like I have to say that far too often. Maybe I won't set this paper on fire. The balloons have forgiven me, but the flames have not. Do we have any, any, any matches anywhere? I don't know. Pastor Greg wants you to know that this lighter is not his. He doesn't know where it's come from. Okay. Now then, this is something that's, that's very tempting to you, and you're trying to not engage, and you're trying to ignore, but maybe you think, oh, I'll just do it. I'll just do it once. It won't hurt anybody. Now this, this balloon is you. Okay. You've engaged in the, in the temptation. You've given in just a little bit because you thought it's Okay. I'll just do it a little bit. I'll just do it once and I'll be fine. Every, everything will be okay. I'll just do it once and then I can totally, I can, I can ignore it. Then I, can, I can stop then. It'll be fine. And I'll move on. I'll move on with my life. It'll be, it'll be totally fine. If I've just done it once, just a little bit, it's okay. It's okay. So you think, oh, I'll just walk away. It's totally fine. <gasps> oh. But you're stuck. We get trapped by the temptations that we give in to. We think that we can just do it once. It's totally fine. I can just watch that one time and I'll be fine. Not going to have a huge effect on me. I'll listen to that. I'll do that just the once and I'll be totally fine. But look, now this glass is far, far heavier than the balloon. But the balloon is carrying the weight of that glass. It's carrying it around, and that's quite a heavy weight to have to carry around. When we give in to temptation, even if we think, oh, I'll just do it once, I'll be totally fine, doesn't matter, I'll just dabble, I'll dip my toe in, I'll be fine, I can move on. It's not going to affect me. We think it's not going to affect us, but even just giving in once can have a huge huge effect on us, and, and we can't separate, look, I can't get this balloon out, I can give it a shimmy shake. <sighs> I can't, I can't escape from it. 
we can get tangled up when we give into temptation. We get all tangled up and, and we're almost sort of trapped. We're ensnared by it and we can't help ourselves get out. We can't break free ourselves. But we need to think, what did Jesus do? Now, what did Jesus do? That's very important. We hear all the time, it's been quite a craze, maybe back in the 90s, what would Jesus do? I don't like to think about what would Jesus do because we've got a whole book that tells us what Jesus actually did. Can I get an amen? No? Okay, never mind. Oh, there we go. We don't need to think, what would Jesus do? Read your Bible and read what he did do. When he was out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, he was constantly using scripture truths that he knows about God, about his father, to combat all of that temptation. And so that's what we can do as well. He wasn't just doing it because it was something to do. Everything that Jesus did is something to learn from. And so we can learn from that too. So I've got my straw. I've got my God here. God's a little bit, he's been on a diet. He's a bit slim. This is God, or maybe this is scripture. And when you use God, when you use scripture, these truths that you know to combat those temptations, look, balloons have forgiven me you are set free from your temptation you can't do it on your own you saw I was trying to lift up that balloon the temptation was coming with me I was trapped I was sucked into it I couldn't get away but with God with scripture with those truths that we know those definite truths that God speaks over our lives when we speak those out when we believe them and internalize them we're no longer trapped by the things of these worlds by the thing of the world that, that, that tempts us and enslaves us. We're no longer trapped. We're set free. God will set you free. Amen. So this Lent period, if you're fasting from anything at all, or even if you're not, I want you to think about the things that tempt you. We get tempted by things all the time. Like I said, that's not wrong. Everybody gets tempted by things. But don't give in. Use God. Use the power of the word to help you resist those temptations. Can you do that for me? Not just over this Lent period, but for the rest of your life, can you do that? Thank you. Thank you, Grace. Thank you for that great presentation. And um, yeah, n nobody here at all was worried that that glass was going to plummet to the ground and smash into pieces. Um, it's a great presentation, but it makes a great point, doesn't it? Um, and, you know, all the way through this well-being journey, and Lent is such a good time for us to be fixing our eyes on God in this, we're considering how it is that God wants us um, to, as it were, spiritually succeed. Um, sometimes we, we fall into the trap, don't we, of thinking that God is just kind of looming over us you know, with a rolled up newspaper or something ready to whack us if we get it wrong. This is not the case at all. God wants us to succeed. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to know well-being. And, and you know, God wants to, to give us all of these incredible resources, in fact, give us himself so that we might succeed in our life, in every area of our life. And so as we've been talking about well-being, we've been considering these, these six dials that represent different tanks of well-being within our life, how it is that God wants to, to fill us up and how it is that God wants us to be healthy and whole, being fully the people that he's made us to be in Christ. 
All of these things are interconnected and interrelated. You know, uh, uh, as Grace was demonstrating there, sometimes we, 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 we might kind of indulge in ways that, that are detrimental to our emotional, physical well-being. In fact, our spiritual well-being can then be the key to release and freedom uh, and coming again to God. And all of these tanks are interrelated in that way. Today, we're going to be considering one uh, that is entitled vocational well-being. You might have come across it in uh, your devotional guide. I mentioned earlier, we do finally have some more of these. I'm so sorry. But if you've not yet got one, uh, let me know, and we'd love to get some copies uh, to you. Um, but uh, this one, vocational well-being, what, what does it mean? Uh, it's really obvious with some of the others, isn't it? When we've talked about emotional well-being or physical well-being, spiritual well-being, relational well-being, it's really obvious what we're talking about. But when we talk about vocational well-being, what we're talking about there is uh, what this word vocation really means. And it, it comes from a word that means our calling, our calling, what we might consider to be our purpose in life, maybe the grand purpose of our life or, or some of the other significant purposes of our life along the way. Vocation, well, it, it might mean your job, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to mean your job or, or just be your job. It means our whole calling in life. If you can cast your mind back to right at the beginning of this pandemic season, uh, back in March last year, we at that time were talking in the book of Ephesians about the, the way that God has called us. And we, we, we ran a series back then called Made for More. It's available on our, our website. You can find all of the... Um, all of the, 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 the series there that you can listen again to. Um, and, and we were seeing how it is that God has made us, not only for more than perhaps where we stand today, but more than we have yet asked for or even imagined. God has incredible vocational promise and calling for your life. You see, you're not here by accident. You're not here to pass the time and suck oxygen and twiddle your thumbs. We are very definitely here on purpose, and we are here for purpose. A pastor named Rick Warren, he put it really, really well in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He put it like this, you are not an accident. Your birth was no mistake or mishap, and your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not at all surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. It is not fate, nor chance, nor luck, nor coincidence that you are breathing at this very moment. You are alive because God wanted to create you. Maybe if you're on the couch next to somebody, give them a little jab and say, Hey, God created you, you with purpose. The Bible says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. This is really good news. And this is what vocation is all about. It is about God fulfilling his purpose in us, for us, through us. And us getting on board with that, finding our sweet spot, discovering our vocation, that's when we really flourish in the world. As all of these relational and vocational, emotional, spiritual, physical, all these tanks start to get topped up and working well together, finding that sweet spot and allowing all of our well-being to work itself out with purpose in the world, that is flourishing. 
You know, maybe it's when you're not just kind of doing the day-to-day -day grind, but you know, the, the call goes out and you get the opportunity in your workplace to improve the, the safety or the well-being of your colleagues, to look up from those day-to-day -day tasks for a moment and do something for others around you. Maybe it's when we have the opportunity or take the time to look up from our own family's needs and, and look around us and start to invest in the lives of the families around us passing on our experience or our capabilities. Maybe it's when we get to, to stretch ourselves and create something new, whether it be creating artistically or maybe creating a new venture or a, a startup, a home business, maybe creating jobs for other people. Just the other week, um, I, I went, as, as you do via Facebook these days, you see all of these tempting treats. And I went to a, a house in Morton and knocked on the door, and there I collected two of the greatest slices of cheesecake I have ever had. To, well, I didn't eat both of them. I just want to point that out. Uh, one was for Erin. But they were just so delicious. And they were just made by a lady who, during this season, she thought, well, I know. I can make cheesecake, I'll start making it and selling it. And, and there she was. And I knocked on the door multiple times, and there she came, um, you know, a little bit of flour on her nose and all that. And uh, she said, oh, sorry I didn't hear you, I had, had the blender going. She was just churning out little goodies and treats and delights. You can ask me later where it was. Um, but, you know, she was just kind of living out something of her sweet spot, of her calling in life. And this is just a, perhaps a little glimpse of what it could be for us. You know, in the second century, there was a church leader named Irenaeus, and he put it so well. He said, the glory of God is the human person fully alive or fully alive in their calling, fully alive. How about you? You say, Pastor Greg, now is not the time. Don't talk to me about fully alive. Do you know what I've been through? I know we can have that sense, can't we, as you know, we've kind of endured um, uh, you know, a whole year of various challenges and wrestlings and difficulties, but I know I have seen in the lives of so many, you know, within our church as they've taken on new challenges or picked up new opportunities, how actually something of them has come alive in a new way. It's tough, but it's good. You know, we live in a stressed out world, a weary, weary world. The truth of the matter is it's a world that is far from God's calling, God's commission. It's far from the, the vocation, the calling to worship Him. And yet God has a plan for everybody's well-being. He's always had this plan, only we've often not listened, paid attention. You know, if you're new to our church today, maybe you're new to God's call on your life, new to the idea that God cares about your life, please be assured that He does. And here's what we know from the Bible, which is God's Word spoken to us. In Isaiah 48 and verse 18, it says this, If only you had paid attention to my commands. You hear the heartbeat of Father God there, don't you? I'm pretty sure I've said that to my kids multiple times. And they've said, who are you to command me? I, no, they haven't yet. But uh, God, he speaks to us as a loving father. And he says, if only you paid attention to my commands, here's the promise. Your peace would have been like a river. It's flowing, it's, it's nourishing, it's refreshing, it's full of life. Your well-being, the Bible says, would have been like the waves of the sea, just boundless, endless, if we pay attention to God. 
I was in a meeting recently and a speaker there, he suggested that the antidote in ministry to our tiredness or potential burnout, it isn't actually doing less or resting more. He said the antidote to weariness is wholeheartedness. I think he had a point. It's that sense whereby you know that you're flourishing and fulfilling God's purpose, his hand upon your life. You're listening to him and you're getting stuck in wholeheartedly, and there is joy and refreshment even in that. You know, at our uh, prayer gathering, our, f- our breakfast prayer last week, um, a, a gentleman there on, the, on the, the Zoom call, you know, when we were listening to God, he felt led to go to Isaiah and, and how the, the words of God speak to us, that if, you know, if we wait on the Lord, and that wonderful, precious image of rising up on wings like eagles because God doesn't grow weary or faint. You know, there is hope and promise for each of us in our calling, our vocation, in doing God's will. Today, uh, once again, we're going to be learning from the prophet Elijah. In a moment or two, we're going to come again to worship. Maybe the, the team would come and share with us. Uh, when we come back from, from worshiping God together, we're going to be looking again at the prophet Elijah, who we've been considering throughout this journey And it's going to be the the period of his life straight after he'd had perhaps the greatest moment of success in his life on Mount Carmel. You know, I I felt like we needed a Mount Carmel moment before, you know, send the fire. Uh, God, when they couldn't get the lighter to it, God, pour it. Uh, But anyhow, if you know the story, Elijah, he prayed to God that God would demonstrate that he was the one true God. And he did, by fire from heaven, no less. It was the pinnacle of his career. But after that moment, he kind of burnt out, and, and the toughness there, and what we're going to find out is actually what can we learn from Elijah about how we can live in vocational well-being from some interactions from Elijah's life. And right now, as we worship God, why don't you get to your feet, or if you prefer, sit or kneel or however it is, but, but have the posture of heart that says, thank you, God. I'm not an accident. There's purpose and promise for my life. God, I want to listen to you now as we worship. Just again to center myself upon you and to believe that you're working out your good purposes through my life, lived according to your plan. We're so glad, aren't we, that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, get to stand upon the sure and certain foundation of a faithful God. He's so good to us. We're going to see now how God wants to work out that goodness in our vocational well-being. And and the example of the the life of Elijah through three episodes or three interactions um, in his life uh, that speak to this reality. And the first interaction is between Elijah and somebody who turns out to be, uh, you know, a very godly man as well, Obadiah, and perhaps a lot more godly than anybody would have thought at the time. Sometimes we fall into the trap, don't we, in life of comparing ourselves with someone else. You know, we wonder why we're not accomplishing what they've accomplished, why we're not doing what they do or look like they look or any kind of inter- experience of their life. You know, have you ever had that moment when you, you're hearing about some famous person, whether it be a sportsman or an artist or a, a young entrepreneur, and you realize uh, that they appear to achieve, have achieved all of this whilst also making the terrible mistake of being much younger than you. 
Um, have you ever had that experience? It starts to happen a lot in your 30s. And then maybe you're having the experience when you find out that actually they're half your age. Is that anybody out there? Um, I'm, I'm kind of getting that there, there already, especially with all these incredible young people like um, Greta Thunberg or Malala um, and all these kinds of young people. And it's like, hang on a moment. What have I been doing all this time? And then you kind of read about Mark Zuckerberg and he's 36. That's disgraceful behavior, quite frankly. He should stop it and behave himself. Anyhow, uh, we get into this kind of trap, don't we, of thinking, what have I been doing? You know, what, what have been happening with my life? You know, seriously, you know, we, uh, we, we perhaps recognize that comparing ourselves to people in totally different circumstances is redundant, but we do compare ourselves all too often to those who are right round and about us. You know, maybe our siblings or our colleagues or our friends or our neighbors. And deep down we know that these comparisons, they're false and they're detrimental to us. Elijah, you know, as we've seen over this journey, he had a tendency towards, how do we put it, hyperbole. He could exaggerate with the best of them. Uh, and Elijah, he kind of gets into this sense that he's going it alone for God. He's despairing that nobody else is doing what he's doing or living like he's living. He looks around at everyone around him and he wonders why they're not like him. Or, or maybe deep down he's wondering why he's not like them. Yet, when Ahab, who was the, the wicked king of Israel at the time, when he is doing away with the prophets of God, even, even killing them, uh, there's a man named Obadiah who is working for God under the radar. In 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, we can read these words about this guy. And in, starting in verse 2, it says this, So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. And in brackets it says, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel, she's the queen, was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. I, I love in the brackets there that not only do you get the detail that he hid 150 in each of the two caves. It's, I, I don't know why the Bible thinks we need to know that, that it wasn't like there's 20 in one and 80 in the other. I don't know. But anyhow, the, the important thing is that in the brackets, there's something so important. Not only is Obadiah a devout believer in God, but he's putting that belief into practice, into his vocation, into his calling to save the prophets and continue the work of God. He's doing all of this under the radar. And the Bible continues to say, as Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. You know, see, they lived such different lives. Elijah was this upfront, uh, you know, ready and raring, big man of God. He was like the professional Christian, you can kind of imagine. And Obadiah, there he is working as the palace administrator. How do their lives cross? And yet God brought them to walk along this same road. And Obadiah, we're told in the Bible here, recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Yes, Elijah replied, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And you get this sense of him bowing down to the man of God. 
But Elijah would have been pretty stuck, wouldn't he, without Obadiah, the palace administrator, being able to take the word of God to the king. You see, all different kinds of personalities and vocations and experiences and uh, all different kinds of instances and all different kinds of you and me, this church, joined together by God, are needed to fulfill the purposes of God. Elijah, that voice out in the wilderness, crying, calling God's goodness, even his fire down, Obadiah, the quiet, disciplined, holy man, right in the middle of the wicked regime, and yet he's still doing God's work. Isn't this good news? You know, very few of us in this church are going to end up working for the church, and that's a good thing. But don't despair if you feel like your work isn't quote-unquote holy. Don't despair if your boss is an absolute stinker. You can accomplish great things where you are. You know, don't despair if you feel like your job description isn't very inspiring. No matter where you are, if you are who you are in Christ, you can be a force for good. And it's going to take us all. You know, as we're going through this well-being journey, I'm, I'm so grateful um, for another church, Kingsgate Church, that have pioneered a lot of this material and resourced us. And Pastor Andrew Ollerton from that church, he made this profound observation about this passage. He says, notice the brackets. Recognize that there's always brackets in other people's lives that you might not notice right at the beginning. And there's something pretty impressive in the brackets. You know what I mean? In that reading from First Kings, in the brackets was all of the really good stuff we needed to know about Obadiah. But at first glance, you might have missed it. How about each other? Do you take the time to notice what's in the brackets of one another's lives. Don't be quick to judge. Don't be quick to say, oh, they should be doing this, that, or the other, or I should be doing this, that, or the other. What's God doing in the brackets of your life? Now, I'm grateful as well um, to Pastor Ollerton for pointing me in the direction of something called Operation Mincemeat. Have you heard of it? Maybe you read the book. I haven't, but in World War II, the story goes that there was a, a German army colonel called Alexis Baron von Ruhn. I don't know whether I said that right, but uh, he was working actually really close to Hitler as an analyst. Now, you might think, how could anybody good be that close to evil? But listen to the story, how it goes. To cut it short, this guy, he was instrumental in getting Hitler to believe in an allied deception plan. They basically sent false information, but this German colonel made sure that, that Hitler believed it. And he was doing all of this from the inside. Upshot was the Nazis put their troops in the wrong place. Thousands of lives were saved and the Allies managed to achieve their goals. He did it all, not because he was trained or recruited by the Allies. They didn't even know he was doing this. He did it because he was a believer in God and he wanted to do the right thing. You know, his work ultimately to disrupt the Nazis, it was discovered. And on the October 11th in 1944, they hung him unceremoniously from a meat hook and he lost his life but the night before he wrote this in a moment I shall be going home to our Lord in complete calm and in the certainty of salvation goodness what was in the brackets of his life you look at a picture of him there he is in his Nazi uniform and you think goodness how could he be good 
And yet he was, even in the middle of evil, he was doing God's work. Immersed in an evil regime, yet doing God's work. You wouldn't expect it. Here's the lesson of Obadiah to Elijah and to us. Honor other vocations in God. And then find yours and embrace it. You're not supposed to run someone else's race. You're supposed to encourage one another in the journey. You're not supposed to get into someone else's lane. You're supposed to go in your lane, but at the same time, why don't you grab someone by the hand and encourage them along the way? You're not supposed to be a a lesser version of someone else. You're supposed to be the best version of you. Right now, we're going to come again to worship God. And as we do so, I want you just to invite the Holy Spirit to talk with you as we praise God. Who has he made you to be? You know, by all means, reflect upon uh, those other believers around you. Thank God for them. Maybe think about what's in the brackets of their life and, and pray for one another that that would be really flourishing and growing. But also say, God, what about me? Where I am. Look, we've said it often, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Where you are, how are you being fully who God has made you to be? We're going to come into the, the closing part of our time together before we, we worship as we close and this opportunity for you to give if you're a part of the church as well to our ongoing ministry and mission. But before we get to that part of our gathering, we want to spend some time just very briefly considering two other interactions um, in Elijah's life. We've seen one that was, was very positive, albeit um, unexpected, in the interaction with Obadiah. And there's two more for us to consider. One uh, negative, another positive. And the first, the negative one, is Elijah's interaction. Uh, yes, with Ahab, but very particularly with Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was the, the queen to Ahab's king. and She'd come from another culture, and she brought her other religious practice, which, as the Bible makes plain, was hugely negative. It was, frankly, filthy. Uh, and, and yet, she'd been so corrupted by it, she couldn't see that. No, she wanted to do away with anybody who stood in her way not least Elijah. I said already Elijah had really the, the high point of his, of his ministry there on Mount Carmel. And yet it was at that moment that immediately following that came the deepest low. And it came through an interaction of persecution that caused Elijah to question everything he was doing, even to question who he was. Now recognize this. Because our life as Christians, and wherever we're living our life as Christians, wherever our vocation is worked out, whether it's in the home, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in our school, if we're really living that out as a follower of Jesus, then actually it's a spiritual dynamic, even a spiritual battle. And the truth of the matter is that the higher uh, the, the, the glories of what we're doing in God, sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, the, the greater the opposition and the trouble that comes. What did it look like for Elijah? Well, in 1 Kings 19, the chapter there begins like this. I'm reading from the message. And it says, Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Those were the, the false prophets of Baal. Jezebel immediately sent a message to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those other prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, 
He ran for his dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom brush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. He said, enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under that lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. It's a spiritual battle. From that high to that low because of the conflict, the trouble that came. When you, I, when we're seeking to live God-honoring, disciple-making lives, when we're trying to be godly parents at home, when we're trying to be good neighbors, sharing our witness with those around us, when we're living counterculturally in our schools or being honorable in our workplace, the trouble will come. As I often remind us, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You'll have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says that to you and to me. So what do we need when trouble comes? Do we need a quick escape route? Might feel like it. Do we need a, a nifty trick to get us out of trouble? Do we need a, a, you know, a disguise or anything like that? No, no, no. What we need is we need a full tank. We need deep reserves in order to persevere, a contented well-being in our God and who he has made us to be. How, how do we get such a thing? Well, a couple of principles to share. And the first is the sense of resting in our God. The Bible has a word for this. It's the word Sabbath. And the Bible invites us into rhythms of Sabbath rest. The principal one is that weekly rhythm of rest, whereby, in fact, the first day of the week is our resting point, that everything we do is from rest. We don't rest from our work. No, no, no. We work from our rest. That's not just playing with words. That's a fundamental biblical principle for how you and I are wired. And if we're not actually prioritizing the place of rest, then everything about our vocational calling will suffer, especially when trouble comes. Of course, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, rest isn't just about putting your feet up. Well, that can be a good thing. Rest is about rooting yourself in Jesus. He is the ultimate Sabbath. Actually, deliberately and, and definitely with time and, and, and passion, placing ourselves, actively recognizing that we rest ourselves in Jesus is where the tank gets full for everything ahead. Now, Elijah... He had given a great deal in Carmel, and then after that, he's, he's running and, and walking. He's in the desert. He's struggling, all of these kinds of things. He's burning out because he's giving and giving and giving, and yet he's forgotten to recharge. How about you? How about me? We can't manage this without Sabbath rest. And the second principle is one, it doesn't have a very spiritual title. It's the, it's the principle of stamina. Of, of saying, actually, I'm not going to quit. The Bible talks about this, and it says, don't grow weary in doing good, for we will reap a harvest at the appointed time if we don't give up. There's a promise, there's a hope for your vocation, your calling in life. It's, it's that harvest sense. There will be fruit if we don't give up. 
I remember one time talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I've mentioned it before, but I love it so much. But talking about the fruit of the Spirit with some of my family and, um, and, and one of my nephews, um, Micah, you know, he was listing them off and we were all just amazed to hear him listing them off. But he, he kind of had a moment when he's like, oh, hang on, what's the next one? And then he said, hard pain? And uh, we all fell apart laughing because I, I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible doesn't have hard pain as a fruit of the Spirit. But as we, dig, we dug into it a bit together and we got the understanding, he was referencing long-suffering. Does anybody feel like long-suffering or patience or steadfastness? Does it feel like hard pain to anybody? It does sometimes, doesn't it? And we were just like, that is so bang on. I think Micah wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible. Um, it's just fantastic. But it can feel that way. You've got to keep going. And sometimes it's tough. But keeping on going, if you're rested in God, rooted in Him, is the way to see that harvest, that promise. There are no shortcuts. We go on endless walks as a, a family these days because there's not much else you can do, is there? But if we go to the woods or wherever we go, uh, my lad, he's incredibly fond of a, shall I say it, shortcut. They've never been short. He has never yet found a shortcut that's actually reduced the journey time or distance. His shortcuts, my goodness, he's like a puppy. You know, we, you check your step counter afterwards. It's like, well, you've done 7,000. Judah, 2,300,000. Um, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. He just keeps on going. You know, his shortcuts are tougher and longer. It's a bit like life. There are no shortcuts. You've got to kind of put in the miles. You've got to do the work. In God, it's worth it. Stand firm in God. Elijah, he ran for his life. He'd burnt out. He hadn't really been resting, and he was, he was afraid. You know, we can each be there, but when trouble presses in, we want our tanks to be full, to keep going. How about when your Jezebel attacks? Will you panic, or will you have a good rhythm of life? Sabbath, it's leading to stamina. Stay steady and strong till the end. And lastly, um, having considered Elijah and Obadiah and not having false comparisons but honoring one another's vocations, Elijah and Jezebel, the, the rhythms of life we need to stand firm in the fights of our spiritual journey. We come now to Elijah and Elisha. See, there's good news. Although Elijah had run away, God hadn't run away from him. Although Elijah wanted to quit, God hadn't quit on him. God met him in the desert. God's not afraid of your loneliness. God is not afraid of your depletion, of your desperation. God doesn't turn his nose up at our depressions or our burnouts. God meets us there. God knew that Elijah would leg it, and God knew exactly where, and so God had planned to meet him there. 1 Kings 19 again says this, The Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mehalah to succeed you as prophet. And they're going to have vocations as well. Jehu will put to the death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to the death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. 
So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, saying, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So... Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Wow. Elisha, there he is, plowing pretty ordinary kind of activity. And not only that, but he's plowing the 12th pair. He's right at the back of the pack not a very promising candidate to be taking on this mantle, this, uh, to, to be taking on this vocation from Elijah. But God sees something in him, and so Elijah then sees something in him. I was um, given the, the, the sense of how it is that we can do this as Christians, and it's to have something that is called an I-C-N-U conversation. You remember those four letters? I-C-N-U. And it's, it is what it sounds like, to go to somebody, to, to go to those around you and to say, hey, I see in you something, something from God, something for God's people, something for God's purposes in the world, and I want to celebrate that and invest in that. And that's exactly what is happening here with Elijah and Elisha. It doesn't stop with Elijah. Elijah's going to stop. There'll come an end point for him. In fact, if you know the story, he goes up to heaven in chariots of fire. Goodness, glory. It's not going to be like that for you or me. We're just going to come to our end. What's going to come after you or me? Maybe it's the children in your home. Maybe it's the children you teach or care for. Maybe it's your employees or your colleagues. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's the the young people that you're investing yourself in. Somebody's going to come after you. What's it going to look like? What's the value going to be? How are you going to invest yourself in them? Elijah, he throws his cloak around Elisha, not because Elisha's chilly. You know, he's been working pretty hard. But he throws it round him because it's an expression of everything I am, I'm giving to you. My identity is clothing you. Not that it it stops you being you, but you get everything I've got. I'm going to give you who I am. I'm going to invest in you. You can walk with me, journey with me, talk with me. Life in life, life on life, giving ourselves. It's not just one generation of investment. Through Elijah's investment in Elisha, there are going to come schools of prophets growing up again in a nation that's being returned to God. But this is a biblical principle all through the way. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, uh, the apostle Paul there is talking to Timothy, who he's been raising up, and he says to him, everything I've given to you, entrust it to faithful people who can then teach the next generation. That's four generations of people saying, what I have, I give to you. What I have, I give to you. What I've got, here it is for you. It's investing in one another. Your vocation isn't fully complete unless you you passed it on, unless you passed it on, unless you've raised someone else up. Exponential growth of the gospel comes about this way. People who take the time to notice one another and to give one another their very, very best. Who are you investing in? 
Who are you investing in? Don't make the excuse of, oh, it's so hard at the moment. It's so tough. You've got a phone. You've got a computer. You can even socially distance, go for a stroll. Hopefully, please God, things are going to ease up a little bit more. and We'll be able to interact more and more with one another. But you can give everything God's been doing in you to another and bless them. Elijah and Obadiah, discover your calling. Elijah and Jezebel, defend your well-being. Elijah and Elisha, develop the next generation. We're going to come to close now in worshiping God. And you'll have an opportunity to, to give if you'd like to give to our church and what we do. And, and to respond as well. And here is the response that I hope and pray you will make. Come and follow God. Really, that's what Elisha is hearing from Elijah. Elijah comes a bit like Jesus is going to come, and he's saying, come and follow me, and I will make you. God says this to us. Jesus said it to his disciples, and he grew them up through everything he invested in them. Come on. When you hear the word of God today, will you get up, and will you follow? And will you start to embrace the fact that you have a calling in God for the good of his church, for the sake of the world, you, me, us, together. There's a cost. Elisha, he burnt the yoke and the plow and he sacrificed the oxen and offering to God and gave away to those around him. He had nothing left. He gave everything he had for the sake of the call upon his life. It's the same for the disciples of Jesus. Look, it's the same for you and for me. Will you count the cost? Pay the price. Give your life. If you're new to Christ, look, now's your chance. Now's the moment. Don't delay. God is calling you. He's calling you. Respond to him. Receive him. He wants to make your life everything he'd ever planned it to be. And every one of us, if we're in Christ already, come on, come on. Don't just suck oxygen. Don't twiddle your thumbs. Don't count time. Your life has purpose. As we praise God right now for the purpose that is ours in Christ Jesus, come on, get up. Thank God you're alive. Thank God you can do something for him, for his people in this world. There is so much potential. The sky is the limit and more. And so we thank God and we say, come on, Lord, what's next? What's next? Where do I put my foot? How do I open my mouth? What do I do? Where I am, what do you want me to be? We praise you, Jesus. God of glory, we exalt your holy name. And we say, you are so great. You're so high and so wonderful and so majestic. And we praise you that through Christ, you have poured your very goodness into us. You've brought us to life. And God, we don't want today or tomorrow to live a half-life. We want to live the fullness of life. Christ, there's a cost. And I pray that not a one of us would shirk the paying of it. Rather, we would say, yes, we're in Jesus. What we give, we don't need to worry. We'll pay the price. We'll give it all. We'll hear the call. We'll go. And we'll be who God made us to be. No false comparison. No one's going to steal this will be who God has called us to be. God, would you help us now and help us tomorrow through this week and the month and on and on until you receive us to yourself. 
Amen. Amen. Let's praise God in these things this week. You're going to want to explore them and journey them with your transformed community. Tonight on Facebook, we're sharing communion. God bless you. Be encouraged in Him. Amen. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.